Hello and welcome to Net Zero by Current, where we bring you some of the latest Net Zero stories from the UK and Ireland. My name is Lena and I'm joined today by my colleague George. Hello everybody. Our first new snapshot for this episode comes from the International Energy Agency, or IEA, which released its flagship World Energy Outlook report on Tuesday the 24th of October. The report showed that the global energy system is set to change considerably by the end of this decade. However, despite significant clean energy growth across the globe, the report warned that under today's policy settings, emissions will remain high enough to increase global average temperatures to around 2.4 degrees Celsius. According to the report, bending the emissions curve onto a path towards a 1.5 degree maximum will be very difficult, but remains possible. Thank you, Lana. And the National Infrastructure Commission, which is also known as the NIC, has ruled out the use of hydrogen for heating in its second ever national infrastructure assessment. Instead, the NIC has urged the government to focus hydrogen's use on power generation and industrial decarbonisation. The call forms part of the five yearly review conducted by the NIC, which sets an agenda for action for UK infrastructure over the next 30 years. The Commission also proposed significant additional storage capacity and demand-side response tools to improve the grid's short-term flexibility, as well as proposing reforms to accelerate grid connection times. And Cornwall Insight's latest GB benchmark power curve report forecasts that the UK will likely narrowly miss the government's 50 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030 ambition. According to the market researcher, Britain's offshore wind capacity will increase from 12.5 gigawatts between 2023 and 24 to 47.1 gigawatts in 2030, just missing its 50 gigawatt goal. Cornwall Insight predominantly attributed the missed target to rising costs causing delays to the deployment of offshore wind in the short to medium term. And moving on to our final story of today, the highest EV charging prices have dropped below petrol car running costs. According to the AA Recharge report for September, charging an EV within 20 minutes at peak time has actually fallen to its lowest cost this year. The president of the AA revealed that at 61p per kilowatt hour, that the cost per mile from charging an EV with an ultra-rapid charger during the most expensive period of the day, is now cheaper than running a car on petrol. This news comes in the same week that MPs approve new laws that require providers to publicly share data on EV charge point availability and charging prices. So that was our new snapshot for today. Now, if we circle back to the first story of the IEA report, the report highlighted a number of successes for the global renewable industry, calling the rise in clean energy technologies phenomenal. Under the report's stated policy scenario, or STEPS, which is a scenario based on the energy and climate measures governments have put in place to date, as well as policies that are currently under development, the report believes that renewables are set to contribute 80% of new power capacity to 2030. That's right, and part of what informed the IEA's prediction is just how much renewable generation capacity is set to be added this year, which currently stands at 500 gigawatts, which also is a new record. Exactly. And the report identified a number of renewable technologies which it believed were going to experience significant growth between now and the end of the decade. That's right. And one of these was solar PV, wasn't it? Which the IEA said would account for over half of the 80% new power capacity to 2030, which has been attributed to renewables. That's right. And the IEA expects solar manufacturing capacity to exceed 1.2 terawatts of module nameplate capacity per year by the end of the decade. 
Now, if we were able to use 70% of this capacity, we could bolster solar PV deployment to the levels projected in the report's net zero emission scenario, which is the scenario which limits global warming to 1.5 degrees. And wouldn't that be brilliant? So to add to the positive coverage within the report, the IEA noted that under current policy settings, peaks in global demand for coal, oil and natural gas are all visible this decade and the fossil fuel share of global energy supply, hitherto stuck at 80%, would at least decline to 73% by 2030. And it's worth noting this is for the first time. Mm -hmm. And it's this increased uptake in renewables globally that has allowed the IEA to maintain the belief that steering back onto a path towards limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees remains possible. But it is going to be hard work as under current policy settings, emissions would remain high enough to increase the global average temperatures to around 2.4 degrees. Now, to achieve this, the report proposed a global strategy consisting of five core pillars, which include tripling renewable capacity, cutting methane emissions from fossil fuel operations by 75%, and doubling the rate of energy efficiency improvements. Now, there is a lot more we can say on this report, and listeners wishing to know more, please do refer to the episode description, which will have the links to all of our coverage on the topic. But in the interest of time, let's continue to our next story. So, George, you said that the NIC has ruled out using hydrogen for heating. What did the organisation recommend instead as a low-carbon alternative to heat buildings? Now, the Commission stated that heat pumps and heat networks will be the most viable solutions for moving building heating away from fossil fuels. Right, but to meet the sixth carbon budget, 7 million buildings in England will need to be heated via low-carbon sources. So achieving this is going to require some strong support. Yes, that's absolutely right, Lena. And the NIC outlined a suggested programme which includes funding to cover the full cost of installing low-carbon heat tech for low-income households, providing an upfront subsidy for installing heat pumps or connecting to heat networks, and funding to install heat pumps in social housing and across the public sector. Flexibility and storage were also key considerations within the assessment, which identified that storage capacity will need to grow from 15 gigawatts where it is today to 60 gigawatts by 2035 in order to support the clean energy transition. We're also going to need roughly 30 terawatt hours of long-term flexibility provided by power plants, which will be powered by hydrogen or else gas with carbon capture and storage. Absolutely. And I do believe Nick Windsor, who our listeners is the energy commissioner for the NIC, he was at the Energy UK annual conference that you attended last week. That's right, he was. Um, And the conference was actually on the day that the assessment was released. And Windsor used his keynote to address it. So Windsor said, outlining the context of the assessment, that it's of achieving net zero as one of three strategic pillars, which are economic growth in all regions, climate resilience and environmental protection. This shift, Windsor added, will bring great economic benefits and greater resilience to any future oil and gas price shocks in terms of the impact on people's costs of living. Absolutely. Now, continuing on to yet another significant report in what appears to have been a fortnight of key findings within the renewable sector. Our third story of this episode sees Cornwall Insight forecast that the UK will miss its offshore wind target by just 0.9 gigawatts. So Cornwall Insight attributed the missed target to the rising cost of capital. And this was clearly seen in the latest contracts for difference auction round, also known as AR5 which saw no offshore wind projects partaking. There were multiple warnings given by the energy industry in the lead-up to AR5, 
which expressed concern of the auction round's budget, which was at £227 million, £58 million below the budget for the previous AR4. That's right. And that's, funnily enough, exactly what became the issue. So the price caps for AR5 were deemed far too low in a climate where the cost of capital alongside the electricity generator levy and supply chain difficulties have caused costs in developing low carbon generation projects to increase by between 20 to 30 percent, according to Energy UK. Rising costs also forced the cancellation of one of the UK's largest offshore wind farms, Vattenfall's Norfolk Boreas was due to output 1.4 gigawatts, but it, construction was suspended due to a 40% rise in the cost of production. Now, despite the disheartening forecast, however, Cornwall Inside did actually predict that offshore wind will become the largest source of electricity in terms of capacity by 2028, making up 26% of Britain's generation capacity by 2030. Cornwall Insight's forecast for power prices to 2030 were also bittersweet, as the company predicted that prices will show little movement before peaking at almost £130 per megawatt hours in 2023 and falling to just over £80 per megawatt hour by 2030. Although a welcome decrease, this estimate remains at least 60% higher than pre-energy crisis levels, which average at less than £50 per megawatt hour. To move on to a more positive story to end the episode with, George, can you tell us a bit more about how charging an EV is now cheaper than running a petrol car? I would absolutely love to. So the news was revealed by Edmund King, the president of the AA, during the Highways UK conference at the NEC in Birmingham last week. For context, the most expensive EV charging scenario is using an ultra-rapid charger during peak times. And it is these charging costs that have fallen by 3p per kilowatt hour between August and September to 61p per kilowatt hour. And it is worth noting that this is the lowest it's been this year. To put this decrease into perspective, peak time charging using an ultra rapid charger in January was 74p per kilowatt hour, a whole 13p higher than it is now. And I definitely don't think we can move on without quickly noting another significant piece of EV news. In this, MPs approved new laws that will require providers to publicly share data on EV charge point availability and charging prices. The new regulations will mean that prices across charge points will be both transparent and easy to compare, and drivers looking to charge will be able to find a charge point suiting their needs with much less hassle. Drivers will also be able to check charging speeds and charger locations, as well as availability. Now, on top of this, EV drivers will also have access to contact-free 24-7 helplines for any issues in accessing charging on public roads they may actually run into. Brilliant. And that was this week's Net Zero Roundup. All the stories heard today can be read in more detail by following the links to the website in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone.